Ladies and gentlemen, it is a long I journey to this moment. Really Thank you so much. I am incredible honor. naturally indebted to truly, truly great. And the Oscar goes to... And welcome to Thank the Academy, the podcast where we talk about every Academy Award-winning Best Picture film in order. We're your hosts, Zach and Kristen, and that's Kayla, our producer. Howdy. Hello. Hello. We're here. We're back. After a long, unplanned hiatus. So sorry. So sorry. (laughs) There was sickness involved. So much sickness. So much sickness. But everyone is fine now. We're totally fine. Everything was fine. We were just bedridden one at a time for like a month. But it's all good. And at work. Yeah, and at work. Ugh. It happens. Anyways, yeah, it happens. We're back. But now we're back, yes. finally. Yes. Uh, we watched this movie like a month ago. Oh my gosh, yeah. I was As I was like reviewing my outline, I was like, what are we talking about? Gandhi? <laughs> yes. Uh, so we, of course, are discussing the 55th Academy Awards. Yeah. And the best picture winner, Gandhi. Woohoo. A classic film for the ages. I suppose. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> to be honest, this is one of the more forgettable films that we've watched. <laughs> hmm. Following another forgettable, forgettable film. film. Yeah. I, to me, at least. I, and part of that's taste. I mean, I'm not into this kind of movie anyway, so I'm sure some people were greatly impacted mm-hmm. by it. I just wasn't one of them. It doesn't loom large with uh, Lawrence of Arabia or, <laughs> you know, those other films that you love. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's a little interesting because each sort of like British resurgence with the academy are all like not that great to me yeah i feel like they've been kind of like a downturn in our like personal preference of the history so far like lawrence of arabia oliver tom jones tom jones this one i don't know it's just weird yeah but there are other good british films coming that win we're american oh well it's gonna be the fourth of july this week yeah that's true (laughs) Uh, but before we get too far into it, we have the Penny News. The news about Penny, a pup date. So Penny is our now five-year-old. Ah, uh, uh, she had a birthday. Cavalier, since we last talked. Cavalier pup. Mm-hmm. Still a little pup in our eyes. She's a pup forever. It's hard when your dog is a little dog because she just looks so little. So yeah. she always looks like a puppy. She seems like a little puppy. Yeah. Uh, but Penny. Uh, throughout the spring has been host to a variety of bird friends. Yeah, we've started a bird hotel on our uh, patio. <laughs> I mean, we didn't start it. The birds did. <laughs> the birds have uh, started their own little habitat. Yeah. It's in, crazy, actually. It's been amazing. potted plants. Yeah, we've had a couple nests, um, behind, like one behind a gardenia, one in an aloe plant. And it's been amazing. Like, there's nothing there. And then suddenly we start to see a little bird coming around every so often. And then we realize she's building a nest. And then she comes in carrying big pieces to build her nest. And then she starts sitting in the nest. And then one day, there's just tiny little Cadbury eggs in her nest. (laughs) They're so small and cute and speckled. 
they're not actually Cadbury eggs. They though. look like candy, truly. And then like she's she's oh they they've been so funny. They guard the nest. They are defensive. The birds, not the birds. Penny. Yes, Penny yes. wants the nest. Penny wants the birds. Yes. She doesn't like that they're in her space. So one of the more interesting experiences has been trying to convince Penny to be calm around the birds. The birds do not have it. They don't like having the dogs out on the patio. Right. And so the mama bird, oh, she's such a brave, sacrificial bird. She will like get upset that Penny or even Bosley is out there on the patio and she'll like get up from her nest really quickly and make a huge flutter and like fly to the opposite end and like stand there and like click and clack and chirp at Penny who of course is like barking at her trying to like distract her and get her to go the opposite direction of the nest yeah it's pretty like amazing instincts yes it works every time too Penny's very trained on she could care less that there's a nest there yeah I'm sure she doesn't even realize there's a nest there most of the time Mm -hmm. um because the mama bird will just do that or even me sometimes if I'm poking around too close or trying to look in or something she'll like squawk in my face and like try to like drive me away by luring me like to chase her or Mm -hmm. the papa bird has done it as the birds hatched as well yeah it's just so interesting but uh penny is a little bit uh frazzled by it we've had a lot of bird visitors we also have a ton of hummingbirds oh yeah so between all of the types of birds on our patio Penny's uh, watching the skies. Well, and then we got so many little birdie chicks. Yeah, we got so many little babies. And then one day they flew away. Yeah. One day we heard a commotion in the night. (laughs) They were all trying to leave. Yeah, it was like a positive commotion. It wasn't like a cat attack or something. It was like chirp, chirp, chirp. And And the next morning we could tell where they left. Yeah. There was a little trail. A little trail of bird poop and uh, the nest was abandoned. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Good job, Penny, looking out for the birds, sort of of. trying to attack them. (laughs) Well, with that, uh, we move on to the ceremony. Yes. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah. So (laughs) today we're talking about the 55th Academy Awards. um, And this ceremony is one of the clunkiest ones that I have to talk about. I... I mean, it goes with the movie a little bit. Yes, we'll get into it. I have a lot to say about this one. So, But to start us off, it was held on April 11th, 1983, of course, at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. This year, it was hosted by Liza Minnelli, Dudley Moore, Richard Pryor, and Walter Matthau. Oh, wow. Kind of a co-host situation. Um, a divergence from Johnny Carson, who's mm-hmm. hosted the last couple of years. And I'll get to this in a moment, but uh, not a positive change of pace here. Uh, it was directed by Marty Pesita and, of course, produced by Howard W. Koch. Back wow. on the old classics Classic. again. Uh, they've been around forever. It, it it seems kind of baffling to me that this one did not go very well. Hmm. I don't know. It's the era. It's the movie. It's the people involved. Who knows what the reason is? I mean, it does really affect the show who the host is. Like, yes, it 100%. really changes the whole 100%. vibe. Yeah. Um, and of course, like uh, there were so many things that went wrong because of this. One of the things that was really unfortunate was the opening number, mm-hmm. which of course starts the whole show. Mm-hmm. All four of them were supposed to sing it, and they just. With the exception of Liza Minnelli, they refused to, like, learn it. They didn't do a good job. Um, This Hmm. is from 
Buzz Cohan, the song's lyricist who did this, he said, quote, I'd written the opening number called It All Comes Down to This. They were scared stiff, but ordinarily, if you're scared, then you put in the time and rehearse. They took the opposite approach. So Liza was forced to carry the number. Walter was singing in his own zone somewhere. Dudley was just trying to walk down these steps without falling. And Richard Pryor, well, I think they told him the next day that he was there. Oh, boy. And supposedly, like, I mean, you can watch it. It's it's not good to watch. It's not like it's a bad, disastrous thing. It's just not entertaining. Yeah, right. It's, and Liza Minnelli is, like, working her butt off. She's trying to carry this number. You can see it in her face that she's, like, displeased. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, pulled this from, like, an article I was reading that, was, that said, the look on Liza's face as she realizes the whole thing is an unmitigated disaster, even as she nevertheless presses on is utterly priceless. Oh boy. <laughs> um, and the co-host just had a bunch of other just generalized issues. Um, Dudley Moore and Richard Pryor um, did not really like each other. Yeah. Um, they're kind of at odds in their just like career and as actors and whatever. And so their banter was kind of awkward. Uh, their ad libs ended up degenerating into boasting about how much they're paid per film and just like stuff like that, where it's like so awkward as an audience member to to watch because yeah. you know that it's going wrong right. and there's nothing worse than being in the audience and being scared for the actors or yes. the people performing. It's like being at a bad improv show. It is the most painful thing you can experience. Yes. (laughs) Tom Shales of the Washington Post said about another part that, quote, uh, Dudley Moore marched out as the orchestra played his theme from Arthur, which is his hit film. Mm -hmm. Um, He turned to the band and shouted, shut up, then told the audience, good evening. My pants are killing me. It was all neither uphill nor downhill from there. It was just sort of cross country. And I feel like that's the description of the night. Uh, neither uphill nor downhill, just cross country, kind of just trying to get through everything. So weird. Why did they agree to host if they were going to be such like nincompoops about it? You got me. Huh. I, I don't have an answer. And I it, mean, maybe they felt it was going to be a, like a good boost to popularity because maybe, like maybe it the, was a good thing for Johnny Carson and Bob Hope. But yeah. Like, and I'll get into this also. The critics were pretty unanimous that the hosting situation was not good. Um, pretty much yeah. every publication said the same things. They were all kind of like pseudo complaining or laughing at the fact that it was such a bumbled night in that mm-hmm. sense. Um, not not to say that other critics thought this was a terrible night because a lot of them had other things to praise about the evening. But um, the hosting situation just didn't seem to go super well. Hmm. The other thing that was poorly received was the opening of the evening as well you know how they like say it's the 50th academy awards and blah 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 and they like usually usually they show live footage of Hmm. outside the event or as people are sitting down and you're seeing like people on the red carpet you're seeing uh people talking the the general buzz and excitement of the academy awards at the dorothy chandler pavilion like you know i've watched a million of these now not Mm -hmm. a million 55 of these now less than that however many since they started televising them now. And that's what it is. That's what it always is. And it's kind of cool as like a modern day person. You see fashion. You see these people who are young and excited and they don't know how the evening's going to go yet. Mm -hmm. But instead of doing that this time, they uh, decided to show clips of movie theaters around the world and the like fronts of the theaters with the, um, what is the like? The marquee. Yeah. With the marquee of either Gandhi or E.T. or movies, basically. So they have, like, Shanghai and, like, Sydney, Australia and, like, stuff like that, which I guess could be cool. But this goes on for over a minute and a half. Oh, my. I watched it, and I was like, what is going on here? Why are we still doing this? 
And it's not exciting. It's not like uh, the premiere night of these films. It's Academy Awards night footage. It's just like uh-huh. kind of people walking around in the city by the marquee. Interesting. So again, just kind of like a poor way to like start off the show well and maybe there's something to be said for needing at some point some new i mean we we harp on the fact that it's helpful to have the same director and producer over and over but sometimes, but sometimes you just need a little new inspiration or something fresh like and we, they it seems like maybe they were out of ideas <laughs> <laughs> yeah um additionally and i'll reiterate this in a minute presenters struggled uh, they huh. struggled with pronouncing names. Oh, weird. Um, there were a couple of mispronunciations or a couple of just like fumbling to get it right. Huh. Um, which, which like doesn't normally happen either. And it shouldn't happen if there's a rehearsal, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, the audio of the live telecast was kind of substandard. There were some issues with it. And you could hear things being moved around behind the curtains. Oh, my. Richard Pryor uh, at one point said, quote, our next presenters who are coming here as soon as they move the cards, because they're like struggled with the cue cards. Oh, boy. Um, Dudley Moore laughed at his cue card when he was presenting for the song, like the performance of the song Up Where We Belong, because they, so for this presentation of this song, they have the singers come out and do it. But before that, they had the Naval ROTC unit from uh, USC come out and like do a weird ballet. Hmm. It is a fever dream. It's so strange. <laughs> it's all of these military men holding these ballerinas and the ballerinas like dance around them. And then they like hold out their like salute gun things and do like a thing for them to walk. It's very weird. And then after they do this whole weird thing, the singers come out and sing and it was very strange to watch, but he, Dudley Moore, when he's introducing this, he laughed at his cue card as he's like trying to say it and revealed afterwards that on the cue card, they had spelled naval, like naval officer, N-A-V-E-L. So he was oh. laughing. It's like a naval, mm. like a belly. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Weird. So like, and how unprofessional, right? Yeah, right. Like, why is that something that comes up? I don't know. Uh, the other thing that happened, uh, of course, that was like the takeaway that most people harped on for the night, uh, was that there was an error with the video to play for the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award. Uh-oh. So Charlton Heston it, was presenting it. He attempts to present it. Um, it was going to longtime producer Walter Mirisch for just his career, mm-hmm. of course. He introduces this clip that's going to be of Gene Herschelt. So he oh, says, quote, okay. here is Gene Herschelt. And there was silence. And then he says again, I think here is Gene Herschelt. And then more silence. And then he there's like, then he says, we've lost the film. While a voice from off in the wings goes, cue cards, cue cards. So finally, like, it's just kind of like, you know how it is. The crowd starts to murmur, blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. So finally, Charlton Heston goes, Okay, Gene Herschelt was a wonderful man. You come up to my house and I'll show you the film. And then he just goes into the introduction to give the award to Walter Mirisch. Oh my gosh. Wh- and they didn't even show the clip. So weird. Yeah. Um, and, you know, does his nice talk about him and all that stuff. But it almost like feels like so much went wrong that someone was sabotaging it. <laughs> I'm also not done. So. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, this wasn't bad. Let me preface it with that. And let me preface this with also, I like the temptations. Oh, no. <laughs> I do. I have nothing against the temptations. But for some, some reason, they were invited to do their rendition of the song 
The Eye of the Tiger, which was nominated for Best Song from Rocky Three. Rather than having, you know, the original performers come and do it, hmm. they introduce it as, here is the Temptations rendition of Eye of the Tiger. And then they start playing like, you know, Temptations instruments. So like saxophone and like horns and stuff like that. And they're doing their little choreographed dance and mm-hmm. each of them singing like one line from the song, like the Temptations would. Mm-hmm. It is so weird. It's so weird. It's just the strangest song for them to be singing in general. Yeah. It was baffling. Most of the critics were like, they didn't like say anything bad about it, but they were like, it was just confusing. Yeah, like, like why did, why they did do this it? happen? I watched it because I was like, what the heck? It's just so strange. It feels like an SNL parody. Like, hmm. like an SNL sketch of the Oscars and this song is going to win. And they're like, who is the weirdest band to perform this song? Mm-hmm. The style that's like the most different that we could have come in and do a version of it. I wonder if they had like the same producer or somebody. I'm sure who, they're like, under the same label. I, I don't, don't know. know. Something is there. But and I say all this not because it's bad. Like, it's not a bad. They're fine singers. They're fine performers. They have charisma. Like, all of that is totally fine. Just as an audience member, it's like, what am I watching? Mm -hmm. Why is this happening? So. I mean, there have been a few of those recently where it's just like, why was this presented in this way? And like, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't serve the Academy. It doesn't serve filmmaking or musicians that are making these songs for movies. Like, it just seems like it. I don't know. I didn't understand. Hmm. And nobody else seemed to either. Yeah. Um, critics were pretty harsh on the evening, generally. There were a couple of people who were positive. But the main sentiment was that it was a clunky show. Mm-hmm. And also that it was a very high and mighty show. Yeah. So I, I pulled some quotes from some people. Um, Tom Shales of the Washington Post. I really liked his article. So I was kind of uh, pulling a bunch from it. He said about a quote, It was the night of the peace Oscar. Or the night the Oscars went to pieces, depending on one's point of view. (laughs) I mean, that makes sense also because this film was awarded Best Picture. Well, and also, here, let me read the follow-up to that. He said, quote, both Gandhi and E.T., the extraterrestrial, its chief rival for Oscars honors, were about peaceful and captivating characters, one real, one fictitious, and words like courage and vision were bandied about liberally by the Gandhi acceptors. Yeah. Which is true. I mean, I mean, it's strange to say that that's what ETU is about. I guess that's sort of the theme of the movie of like, sure, (laughs) like acceptance of the other. Yeah. But it's such a different feeling of a film than Gandhi. Gandhi is very politically (laughs) like in tone, uh, whereas ET is definitely not. And to follow that up, other films like the documentary film, the short films, they were also very peace-centered. He also Mm. said in his article, quote, the Oscars went wild for peace in our time. The winner of the Oscar for Best Documentary short shouted out, Oscar for peace. Kinsley accepted his trophy in the names of Vision, Courage, and Peace. And Richard Attenborough, named Best Director, accepted the Best Picture Oscar with a long-winded sermon that ended with him telling Academy voters that by giving him the Oscar, quote, you honor Mahatma Gandhi and his plea to us all to live in peace. So that was kind of his perspective on it. Um, Janet Maslin of the New York Times, she wrote about it, quote, the winners associated with Gandhi, with the exception of Ben Kingsley, sounded a uniformly self-satisfied note as they praised the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences for its taste, its high-mindedness, and its concern with world issues. The Oscar seems to have been confused with the Nobel Peace Prize, at least temporarily. 
Someday the sweep that brought Gandhi eight Academy Awards may be known as one of the great injustices in the um, in the canals of Oscardom. Even the audience at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion was more responsive to the film clips of E.T. and Tootsie than the excerpts from the winning film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, that was kind of some of the perspective on the evening. Yeah. It's weird because already they're like, eh, E.T. should have won. <laughs> Which is like now what people say about this yeah, year. Yeah. And I mean, this is on the night of too. Yeah. Um, there were two slightly political moments of the night that I just want to mention real quick. Um, the film, if you love this planet, uh, one best documentary feature film, uh, it's an anti-nuclear stuff documentary and accepting the ward co-producer Terry Nash said, quote, well, you really know how to show a foreign agent a good time. For their tremendous effort in promoting this film, I'd like to thank the U.S. Department of Judgment. And the reason for this is that this film was declared propaganda by the U.S. Department of Justice. They like issued a formal statement that this film was considered propaganda, which gave it a huge boost in popularity that it did not have before. So mm-hmm. then people saw it. Uh, so then it got Oscar contention and then it ended up winning. But also like propaganda doesn't mean anything. It means it's a film trying to persuade you, which Listen, I'm, I'm sure that it is. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not saying anything, you know, either way. I'm just saying that that was regarded as a, a so moment. Uh, the other thing that happened, um, and I hate to say it, but I also cannot pronounce this name. Um, it's a Polish name and it's a, a lot of letters that I, I just don't know how to say it. So <laughs> I'm going to try my best don't give me that look but one of the other political moments uh kind of happened when producer Zipnew Rubachinowski I don't know if that's correct I really apologize um but thanked the academy for the Oscar for best animated short uh for his film Tango in Polish uh which is his native language it was translated by a woman interpreter um he said quote I am hoping that someday I will speak longer from this place and uh kind of like seemed like that was the end of the statement um so presenter matt Dillon um kind of tried to like push him off the stage sort of mm-hmm. um but he continued and the translator translated for him that he said it is not over yet and then he made a salute to lech walsia um and the embattled polish solidarity movement so kind of like doing like a salute mm-hmm. thing um which I will be honest, I just don't know enough about this movement or the situation or the politics of the time to know what was going on. So I can't really say how this was or what this meant, um, but it happened and people commented on it. So, Interesting. You know, yeah. there's got to be a little something. So the last things I have to talk about today are just the little facts of the ceremony. Jessica Lang was nominated as both Best Supporting Actress for Tootsie and Best Actress for the film Francis. Oh, she wow. won Best Supporting Actress. And this is only the fourth time in Academy history that a performer has competed in two acting categories in the same year. Hmm. The others being Faye Bainter in 1938, Teresa Wright in 1942, and Barry Fitzgerald in 1944. So a very long time since this has happened. Yeah, wow. I mean, she's an amazing actress, so congrats to her. <laughs> she was also, like, predicted to win for Tootsie, so yeah. that was kind of the, like, frontrunner. But I am surprised she was submitted and considered for both. So, mm. I mean, and she lost to Meryl Streep, so what can you do for best actress? <laughs> Many have. Yes. Uh, also, just a side note, this is the only time George C. Scott attended an Oscar ceremony. Oh, okay. So, you know, notable. Louis Gossett Jr. became the first... Uh, black actor to win best supporting actor for yeah. his role as Emil Foley in an officer and a gentleman. 
Um, he's only the third black actor to win an acting award at all. The other two being Hattie McDaniel and Sidney Poitier. This is considered the like real emotional moment of the night, of mm-hmm. course. Um, it, it was a it's a beautiful speech. It's a speech about you know progress and you know we want more. Like give us more. Of course. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. But, you know, it, it's a beautiful moment. So congrats to him. And he ended up being able to have a decent career afterwards. You know how there's usually a yeah. slump. Um, he did Roots very shortly after this. Um, so ended up being okay for him. So congrats to him. And additionally, um, Banu Athaya uh, becomes the first Indian person to win an Academy Award for Best Costume Design for Gandhi. And Ben Kinsley also wins Best Actor, um, being Indian himself as well. So kind of a, a new exciting step forward there as well, which is good considering the movie is Gandhi. Gandhi. Yeah. It seems about time, but um, there has not really been much Indian representation. In fact, there hasn't been really any at all leading up to this point. So pretty exciting as well. Um, so that's what I have to share about this Academy Awards ceremony. So with that said, I'll go through uh, our winners for the evening. Huzzah. Of course, Best Picture goes to Gandhi, Richard Attenborough producing. Uh, Best Director goes to Richard Attenborough for Gandhi. Best Actor goes to Ben Kingsley for Gandhi. Best Actress, as I mentioned, goes to Meryl Streep for Sophie's Choice. This is her second Academy Award. Mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actor goes to Louis Gossett Jr. for An Officer and a Gentleman. Uh, Best Supporting Actress goes to Jessica Lange for Tootsie. Best screenplay written directly for the screen goes to Gandhi. Best screenplay based on material from another medium goes to Missing. Best foreign language film goes to Begin the Begin from Spain. Best documentary feature goes to Just Another Missing Kid. Best documentary short subject goes to If You Love This Planet. Best live action short film goes to A Shocking Accident. Best animated short film goes to Tango. Best original score goes to E.T. The Extraterrestrial. John Williams. Mm-hmm. Best original song score and its adaption or adaption score goes to Victor Victoria. Best original song goes to Up Where We Belong from An Officer and a Gentleman. Best sound effects editing goes to E.T. the Extraterrestrial. And best sound also goes to E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Best makeup goes to Quest for Fire. Best costume design goes to Gandhi. Best art direction goes to Gandhi. Best cinematography, also Gandhi. Best film editing, Gandhi. And finally, Best Visual Effects goes to E.T., the extraterrestrial. There is an honorary award given to Mickey Rooney for Mm -hmm. his extensive career um, and his work in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, He does give a very long-winded speech about it. Of course. You know, as you do. And as mentioned earlier, the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award goes to Walter Mirisch. Uh, You know, without Gene Herschel's words himself. Right. Just Charlton Heston's. Of course. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's what I have to share about this Academy Awards ceremony. A little bit chaotic, but an award ceremony nonetheless. Mm-hmm. There is a general disappointment, I think, about the film Gandhi. Um, I think that there was a lot of like movement in the moment where it felt really impactful in the year of. And then I think it just hasn't had the longevity as movies like E.T. have. Well, and one of the issues... That I'll just mention now since you're talking about it um, is that there was a lot of criticism of the movie and of the portrayal of him. Sure. As like, I can imagine a purely good person. Sure. Because like a lot of people think he did a lot of good. Sure. And he did. Sure. But he was also a person. And sure. so like he 
there are things in his life that were not mentioned in the movie that were like not that great. Sure. I I don't we've talked about this when we watched the movie. Neither of us really know anything about yeah. Gandhi. It was his life or his impact was not a part of my education. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really know anything going into this. Well, and one of the things that was pointed out the most, I saw it in a bunch of different articles, the same story over and over and over. So I'll mention it also because it seemed very popular with the critics is that when he was fighting for equality for Indian people, Mm -hmm. he wasn't necessarily fighting for equality for all people. Okay. So when he was in South Africa, one of the things he was helping fight for was, so of course apartheid was still happening in Mm -hmm. South Africa. So black and white people were segregated. Mm -hmm. And then other races were also segregated from white people in South Africa as well. And Indian people made up one of the largest other subsets in South Africa at the time. Um, And so he was fighting for the right for Indian people to have their own bathroom like blacks and whites did. Uh. He wasn't fighting for everyone to use the same bathroom. So he also wanted a separate bathroom from black people and from white people. Oh, interesting. Because he felt that there should be... Like, he wasn't fighting segregation. He yeah. was fighting... For like, the rights of Indian people. Right. Sure. Okay. Um, and so there was a lot of critics who were trying to make that distinction that, like, mm. wasn't really made in the film. It yeah. sort of just upheld him as totally like, good, and he wanted, you know, to bring down... More than anything, he was fighting against British colonization. Yeah. And it seemed like the movie paints him as this like profit for peace in a way that is true in the circumstances of India and the British empire and those kinds of things. But like you're saying, it, it seems like it may not he have been still universal of, peace. <laughs> he was still of the era too. Of course. There were very yeah. few people of the era still who were fighting for like equality for all humankind sure. all across the world. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like um, at the time there was a lot of segregation that was more of like, get your hands out of my stuff. Right. Rather than like, let us all come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were a lot of other random like things that, you know, while he was still a champion of peace, he also led to the death of so many people unnecessarily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just other things like that, that from like... 40 years after his death, people could see a little more clearly. Sure. And, you know, it's also tricky because it was still sort of, it was critics who were still outsiders, who weren't necessarily Indian people, who didn't live through Indian colonization and all of that, too. Yeah. So, I don't know. Just worth mentioning. Yeah. That was a big criticism of the film. And if you're going to make a film about a political revolutionary leader and it's going to win best picture. You have to deal with the political implications of that. And the conversation that has to come up about both the positive and negative of the person, not the movie, the mm-hmm. the person, the figurehead that the movie centered around. Mm-hmm. Well, and this has been a huge conversation around a lot of the films about, um, like the civil rights movement. I was just going to say from the past like, like decade, there yeah. have been so many films made about major figures from yeah. then Martin Luther King Jr. And Malcolm X and yeah. all these people who 
I mean, even like the Black Panthers and like all Billie these, Holiday. yeah, people who are fully human, mm-hmm. right? And have made horrible mistakes and also done great things. And you have to be able to hold both at the same time and judge the bad for the bad and the good for the good. And I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. I felt that way about Selma, but we'll get to that in the future. Yeah. Anyways, uh, of course, there's always going to be critics who are, and whether it's founded or not, you know, they're going to say their piece. And ultimately, these are movies about people who did something, which is more than most of us can say. And also, like, no historical movie is totally accurate. Or unbiased. Yeah. I mean, there's a perspective happening here. Mm -hmm. So. Anyways. (laughs) Inevitable. Well, and with that, uh, we can move right into our next section. So, Zachary, why don't you tell us about the film Gandhi and the year 1982 in film? All right. So let's get to it. The year 1982, starting with some famous births, debuts, and deaths, of course. Uh, For births, we have Eddie Redmayne, Ah! David Diggs, Natalie Dormer, Jessica Biel, Thomas Middleditch, Adam Pally, Santino Fontana, Constance Wu, Jenny Slate, Brian Tyree Henry, Chloe Zhao, Kobe Smulders, Haley Atwell, Jay Baruchel, Seth Rogen, Ali Wong, Kirsten Dunst, Elizabeth Moss, Anna Paquin, Martin Starr, Sebastian Stan, John Mulaney, Kieran Culkin, Matt Smith, Anne Hathaway, Gemma Chan, Riz Ahmed, and Alison Brie. Oh my gosh. Wow. A lot of fun people in there. Yeah. And a lot of people that, I, uh, like we've said throughout all of time, it's just so hard to picture them all being born the same year. Mm-hmm. Since some of them feel like adults to me and some of them feel like people my age. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them feel like contemporaries of us and some of them feel way older than us. Yeah. I would assume, I, I feel like Alison Brie feels like someone who's close to our age. But Haley Atwell no, seems yeah. way older than uh, us. Kirsten Dunst, I, I mean, she seems like she's like, my like mentor uh, I've friend. I've always known she was like ten years older than me. Oh man, seems weird. Yeah. Anyways, uh, some famous debuts this year. We have Antonio Banderas, Nicolas Cage, Peter Capaldi, Glenn Close, Miguel Ferrer, Angelina Jolie, Kevin Kline, Jet Li, Eddie Murphy, Gary Oldman, Molly Ringwald, and Forrest Whitaker. Hmm. Stars of the eighties. And then, uh, for the. Big deaths this year in 1982. We have Lee Strasberg. No! Of course, uh, uh, actor and famed acting teacher. Uh, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for uh, The Godfather Part Two. Mm, wow. An icon. Yes. Um, Henry Fonda, of course, who we've yes, mentioned we in the last few that. episodes. We cried over it. He We're... was an actor uh, <laughs> with three nominations for The Grapes of Wrath, 12 Angry Men, and On Golden Pond. What an honorable legacy to leave as your three Oscar nominations. Yeah. Uh, of course, only one win for On Golden Pond. Uh, he also won an honorary award for basically his lifetime of work. Foof. Um, he was also nominated for three Emmy Awards, two BAFTAs, and he won the Lifetime Achievement Award from AFI. Um, he also received one Golden Globe Award and the Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm, nice. Um, then we have Ingrid Bergman. Oh. Actress nominated for seven Academy <sighs> Awards. Uh, she won three for Gaslight, Anastasia, and Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, She also achieved the Triple Crown of Acting, Mm -hmm. having won an acting award as an Emmy. 
a Tony and an Oscar. Yes. Next, we have Grace Kelly. Oh, all the greats. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, nominated for two Academy Awards. She won one, of course, for Best Actress for The Country Girl. And then, of course, later became the Princess of Monaco <laughs> after she retired from acting. A Philadelphia girl. And then last but not least, Verna Fields. Oh, man. Just knife after knife after knife. One of the best editors of, of Hollywood time. history. Yeah. Um, nominated for two Academy Awards and won one for Jaws. Yeah. Paved the way for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so some news things for uh, film in 1982. Uh, the Coca-Cola Company acquires Columbia Pictures for uh-huh. $750 million. All right. So Columbia Pictures has been in the mix, been up and down, left and right. Do they still own the Columbia Pictures? No. Okay. They don't. Um, But now they do. So Columbia is soon to be on a big rise. All right. They got that Coca-Cola money. Yeah. Tron becomes the first movie to use extensive computer animation throughout the entire film and has uh, the longest fully computerized uh, like length of time in a film also. Nice. So that is coming. Yeah. Have, we haven't talked about Tron at all, I guess. It didn't get nominated for stuff? Nope. Okay. It did not. All right. That's yeah. a big movie in film history. So yeah. Okay. And in Disney history. And in Disney history. That's true. Um, THX, the sound oh. company, uh, starts wow. installing its new state-of-the-art sound systems in theaters around the country. All right. Columbia Pictures, again, speaking of, beats the record set by Warner Brothers when they purchased the rights to My Fair Lady for $5.5 million, when it purchases the rights for Annie for $9.5 million. (gasps) Oh, I see. I was not computing. Wow. Is this going to be the Carol Burnett Annie? Is that what we're leading to? One of the greatest movies of all time? So it did come out in 1982. Annie did? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So it was purchased in 1978. Which is something I could have mentioned for that year, oh. but it came out in 1982, which is why I mentioned and it. And it didn't get any Academy Award recognition? It did not. What is going on? Um, My Fair Lady ended up doing so much better, of course. Clearly. It grossed $72 million on that purchase, uh, while Annie only grossed $57 million. <gasps> Well, not in my heart. Well, I mean, you have to also remember that movie musicals are not that big right now. Yeah, they're in a slump right now. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, But really crazy to pay almost $10 million just for the rights. Yeah. Although it is a beautiful movie. Yeah. It's really, really well produced. It was a huge... It was way more popular on Broadway than it was as a movie. Sure, sure. Which is tough, but... Yeah, one of a... It's the way it goes. Canon events for Kristen Hmm. watching Annie. Um, E.T. breaks the record for the highest grossing film of all time. Wow. It's the new number one. All right. Grossing $359 million in the U.S. in 1982, going on to make over $400 million at the domestic box office and $792 million worldwide in its lifetime. Boy. Um, it currently still stands at number four all time adjusted for inflation. Wow. And we'll talk about that one a lot more in our archives episode coming up. Correct. So we won't really talk about that too much now, mm-hmm. but what a fun movie. I'm yeah, happy to so, hear that. So great. Um, then we have the 34th Primetime Emmy Awards, Barney Miller, Hill Street Blues, and A Woman Called Golda are the main winners for this year. Um, Alan Alda, Carol Kane, Mickey Rooney, 
Christopher Lloyd, Lawrence Olivier, and Ingrid Bergman all win acting Emmys this year. Oh, wow. Good for them. Which is pretty crazy. Um, and a TV movie adapted from the play version of The Elephant Man ah. got nominated for four Emmys. Okay. But didn't win anything. But interesting a cultural that, moment. Yeah. Uh, it, and it actually was adapted from the play, unlike the movie, uh, which yeah. was just mm-hmm. adapted from the story. Yeah. Um, then we have the 36 Tony Awards. The theme of the night was a medley of George Gershwin songs culminating at the end of the ceremony, unveiling that the Eurus Theater was renamed the Gershwin Theater. Ah, okay, nice. Yes. So, of course, we know the Gershwin Theater Yes, now. we do. Yeah. Then Best Play was the Torch Song Trilogy. Hmm. Best Musical was Cats with 11 nominations and seven wins. And mm-hmm. Best Revival uh, was On Your Toes, which was a uh, Rodgers and Hart musical from okay. the 30s. All right. Funnily, it beat All's Well That Ends Well and A View From The Bridge also. A View From The Bridge? As other revivals that year. It sounds like a very different style revival <laughs> than those plays do. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so that brings us to Gandhi. Um, as you can imagine, the story of the making of this film is nearly as boring as the film itself. Okay. So I'm just going to mention some about the film and then talk a little bit about Richard Attenborough. Okay. Because he's worth mentioning and also Ben Kingsley. Great. Um, so a very short recap. This film follows the life of renowned ethicist Mohandas Gandhi from a watershed moment in his life being denied a seat on a train in South Africa through his leading of the Cultural Revolution against British colonization for the rights of Indian independence until his assassination in 1948. That's true. Mm-hmm. Oh, one positive thing about this movie I do want to say. Mm. I love bringing back intermission. Ah, uh, yes. That was great. Classic. <laughs> it's a very long movie. It's like three plus hours. Is it pl- over three hours? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. It was and, like 3.40 oh, something. Oh, gosh. I was like, why? Why am I going to do? I can't do this. But we had a nice intermission. I got a soda. And I'm back to it. Another fun positive is that uh, Daniel Day-Lewis had his first speaking (laughs) role in this film. Yep. As a racist. (laughs) (laughs) Is that who we think it is? So that's fun. Yeah. Um, All right. So this film had a budget of $22 million. It ended up grossing $128 million worldwide. It was not top 10 in America. uh, And it was not even the highest grossing film in the UK or in India. In wow, interesting. So it was like middlingly popular. Maybe you'll get to this. Everywhere. But how was the response in India to this film? It was really good. Okay. Yeah. People were positive about mm-hmm. it? Yeah, okay. people loved it. That's that's good. How was the response in England to this film? They also liked it there. <laughs> okay, that's good. They're uh, starting to assess their colonizer history. Yeah. But all in all, it was just a sort of mid. Like, it ah. was not like... I don't know. Do it made think, a lot of money because it played a lot of places. Do you think there's anyone who's like, my favorite film of all time is Gandhi? I'm sure there are people. Yeah. I mean, Richard Attenborough would have said that. <laughs> okay. That's, true. that's All true. right. So he was born uh, in 1923 in Cambridge. Um, he had an interest in acting growing up and ended up studying at the Royal Academy for Dramatic Arts. Mm-hmm. As he began his career, he also joined the Royal Air Force and ended up being assigned to its film production unit during World War II. Hmm. Um, He acted in his first film in 1942, and by 1949 was voted as Britain's sixth most popular actor at the box office. Nice. Um, Both he and his wife were in the original cast of The Mousetrap, of course, which opened in 1952. 
He I feel w- like that's the only thing I really know about him. Yes. Um, he wisely took a 10% profit participation in the show, which yes, yes, I added <laughs> uh, to his personal wealth significantly as the show became the longest running production in history. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing you would know him from is that he played Santa Claus in the remake of Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, the 90s one? Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's him. Oh. Um, you would know him from a bunch of other stuff, but okay. that's probably the thing that you would know him from the most. Yeah. Eventually, he ended up selling some of his shares uh, to open the Little Elephant restaurant in Mayfair, which totally flopped. Oh, no. That's terrible. <laughs> so one story in person that he was consistently drawn to during his life was Gandhi, uh, for some reason. He first had the idea to make a film about his life in the early 1960s. He met with Motilal Kothari and the Indian High Commission in London in 1962 about making a film and then read Lewis Fisher's biography of Gandhi then Um, through Lord Lewis Mountbatten, who was the last viceroy of India. He met Minister Nehru and Indira Gandhi, his daughter. Um, They both approved of the film. They both uh, appear as characters in the film as well. Um, All three of those people. Uh, But when Nehru died in 1964, momentum stalled then. Mm. Um, The interest that Attenborough had generated in Gandhi led Sam Spiegel and David Lean to begin pre-production on their own Gandhi film, Uh which was going to star Alec Guinness as Gandhi. Alec Guinness as Gandhi? Yes. Oh, gosh. I'm glad that didn't happen. Uh, But they eventually abandoned it in favor of making Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. Fine. (laughs) Um, Attenborough eventually approached Lean in the late 60s to see if he'd like to team up, and Lean agreed to direct a film with Attenborough starring as Gandhi. Oh, no. (laughs) They they know they're white, right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so Lean wanted to do Ryan's daughter first, uh, during which Kothari, Attenborough's main Gandhi contact, passed away. So he abandoned it again. Um, Attenborough began working on the project again, but was forced to break from it during India's state of emergency that had been declared by now Prime Minister Indira Gandhi. The country was in the state of emergency for 21 months for from 1975 to 1977. Mm. Um, this is one of the most like controversial periods of Indian history since oh. its independence um, and since Gandhi's death because all public elections were canceled as well as many civil liberties. Hmm. Um, the state incurred many extreme human rights violations, including mass involuntary vasectomies led by Indira's hmm. son, Sanjay Gandhi. Oof. Um, so it was a weird, like, I don't know a ton about Indian history, but this is like one of those really weird things that happened in the seventies there. Mm. There was just a lot of social unrest and their way of deciding to deal with it was basically to like shut down the country and like take control of its people. Sure. Was it overpopulation? No, it was just trying to like regain control of the people as the government. All right. So um, once the emergency was over and India began to recover, Indira Gandhi was approached and convinced to provide public funding for Attenborough's film through the National Film Development Corporation of India. So $10 million ended up being given through that funding. And then in 1980, Attenborough was finally able to secure the rest by selling the rest of his mousetrap shares and through Goldcrest Films, uh, which was currently backing Chariots of Fire as well. Um, Attenborough was still talking to Alec Guinness about playing Gandhi, as well as Anthony Hopkins and John Hurt. 
Oh my gosh. Are you serious? Um, <laughs> the whitest, most British men. So to play all Gandhi? three of them convinced him that an Englishman should not be playing Gandhi. Good for you. <laughs> you know what? I knew I respected them. I did. Uh, but they all told him that he should hire an Indian actor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that pleases me greatly to hear because all three of those men I do respect yes. and I like them a lot. So. Good on them. Thank goodness someone had a little sense. Um, so this made Attenborough reach out to actor Ben Kingsley, um, who was known for his stage work, but had not really done much film acting up to this point. Okay. Ben Kingsley was born Krishna Pandit Banji to an English mother and Indian father mm. who was actually from the same Indian state that Gandhi was from. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Um, so they are actually like very distantly related in a yeah. way. Um, as Kingsley was starting his career, he was approached by famed music producer and manager of the Beatles, Dick James, oh, gosh. <laughs> who proposed that he would make Kingsley the next big pop star in Britain. Oh, interesting. I guess um, he's a singer? I don't know. But okay. he wanted to do that. Uh, Kingsley declined the offer and instead joined the Royal Shakespeare Company. All right. <laughs> Um, he spent the next 15 years working as a stage actor with the Royal Shakespeare Company on the West End. And then he did a huge uh, popular production of Death of a Salesman in Sydney, Australia, um, as wow. Willie Loman, opposite wow. Mel Gibson as Biff. What? Yeah. Whoa. So. It, wait, in what year? Um, Was that? In like 1980. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so he only had a couple of small roles on TV and movies before he was contacted to audition for Gandhi. Um, according to Attenborough, he was mesmerizing in the audition and immediately got the part. I mean, he's perfect in the film, truly. Um, in addition to his skill as an actor, he also bore a very remarkable resemblance to him. Yeah, well, and that is very, very lucky for them. Um, he really, really immersed himself in everything he could about Gandhi. He learned how to use the loom that Gandhi made all his clothes from mm. um, and began making clothes. He ate Gandhi's very strict diet throughout the whole course of filming, mm. uh, which then, of course, caused him to lose a bunch of weight, yeah. as it did Gandhi. Yeah. Um, and besides the scenes from Gandhi's early life, he only wore his signature dhoti, like the outfit that mm. he wore, like throughout all of filming, too. Wow. Good for him. So he really, really committed. I love that. I love that in an actor. That makes me happy. It's he wasn't nice to like hear. going full method and being crazy about it. But right. I was going to ask you, did Daniel Day-Lewis go full method for his uh, <laughs> racist moment he there? He became a racist yeah. to say his one line. <laughs> I was going to say that, and then he moved on so fast. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but good for him. I, that's the most respectable kind of actor you can be, in my opinion. Well, and people were saying that it was like really shocking because a lot of people like started calling him Gandhi's ghost, too. It was like yeah. very surprising to people how striking his transformation was. Yeah. Wow. This was one of the most ambitious films ever made uh, yeah. with the scope and the amount of extras required to pull it off. I did think that as we watched it. Um, crazy. One of the craziest scenes to film, as you can imagine, was the, the like mur- massacre. Mass murder. Yeah. yeah. I was watching a behind the scenes documentary of this film and it was really weird watching them filming that scene hmm. because... I mean, they would do the scene and everybody would be screaming and like hysterical and everything. Yeah. And then they would yell cut and then everyone would just like jump up and they're laughing and having fun. And they're, oh it's like just, I mean, it's their job, you know, they're yeah, extras yeah, and they're in a yeah, movie and everybody's yeah. 
being very professional about it. But well, it's just and there's like, nothing more fun as an actor than getting to be like, yeah. oh, I, I got shot, shot. I'm falling oh. down very dramatically. <laughs> of course, it's like the worst I mean, horrifying it's horrifying, scene. yeah. It was very unsettling. I'm not going to lie. My stomach did really turn, um, which is intentional. It's a very effective scene, but... Yeah. Wow. During the funeral scene uh, of Gandhi's funeral, um, it ended up coincidentally being filmed on the 33rd anniversary of Gandhi's death. That's not a coincidence. It's all tied together. Yeah. I mean, it was unplanned that this would happen, uh, but it just ended up, the shooting schedule ended up falling right in line Hmm. and they were on the anniversary of his death. Um, Over 300,000 people responded to a call for extras that day. What? Um, oh my gosh. And then the Guinness Book of World Records certified that as the record up to that point in history yeah. for the most people involved in a day of filming. I believe that. That's wild. Yeah. There's something, um, one of those invisible strings tying the past and present in this. Well, and I mean, the people of India love Gandhi. Of course. Yes. And yeah. they're still very close to the story. His daughter is still the prime minister. I was like, going to say, there's not been that much time yeah. since his death to the making of this movie. Well, and he's, uh, I mean, he's revered in India still as like the leader of the yeah. Indian in- independence. Yeah. So it's like he successfully got them out from yeah. the rule of British yeah. colonization. So. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that all of them would really want to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, Of course, once the film was completed and was being shown to potential uh, distributors, there ended up being a huge bidding war for distribution, um, which is also kind of funny because, like, no one wanted to fund the film initially, Mm. and now they're all trying to distribute it. (laughs) Um, And then Columbia ended up winning out. They got that Coke money. Yep. And they said, we're going to do Andy. We're going to do Gandhi. (laughs) It's going to be a great year. (laughs) So then they ended up being able to distribute it. And of course, they were able to make a lot of money on it, which is good for them. Big year for Columbia and bald men. Um, It opened to (laughs) huge critical success. Um, The premiere had uh, Prince Charles and Princess Diana in attendance. Yes, I did see the pictures of that. Which was like a really big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, Richard Attenborough had won a BAFTA before this film uh, and was finally now being acknowledged by the Academy. (laughs) Um, he was very renowned in Britain up to this point. We've yeah. never really talked to, about him no. because like none of his films or his work was acknowledged by the Academy up to now. Yeah. Um, and then of course, Ben Kingsley's career just exploded after this. Oh, he was yeah. like <laughs> well known worldwide as like a really great actor then. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you can't tell, I mean, we've said this, you can't tell him apart from Gandhi. Yeah. So like, well, and they use a lot of like real footage of Gandhi in the film also. And like, you can't tell that it's yeah. like, who's who. Yeah. 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 It's pretty remarkable. Um, I'll just read a couple of, uh, interesting, critic responses um in newsweek jack kroll stated quote there are very few movies that absolutely must be seen sir <laughs> richard attenborough's gandhi is one of them i don't know that i would agree with that but it is pretty epic <laughs> the movie deals with a subject of great importance with a mixture of high intelligence and immediate emotional impact and ben kingsley gives what is possibly the most astonishing biographical performance in screen history that i do agree with that is it's definitely up there. I can't think of another that I would really put in that category. Yeah. 
Um, he goes on to say, Attenborough mounts a powerful challenge to his audience by presenting Gandhi as the most profound and effective of revolutionaries, creating out of a fierce personal discipline a chain reaction that led to tremendous historical consequences. At a time of deep political unrest, economic dislocation, and nuclear anxiety, seeing Gandhi is an experience that will change many minds and hearts. Mm. Which sort of speaks to that, like, Mm -hmm. political leaning that, you know, was probably why a lot of people liked this one. Yeah. Well, and I I did forget about, um, like, Princess Diana and the royals attending. And all of that does really speak towards this effort and this movement towards peace that Mm -hmm. seems to echo throughout the year, throughout the ceremony, throughout the film's intent and intention and all that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I can see how in the moment I don't feel this way necessarily now watching it but like how in the moment it could feel just so powerful and so important and so revolutionary in that like it's doing something film hasn't really really done yeah leading up to this it hasn't been a worldwide unifier right right (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty cool (laughs) Uh, I'm talking myself into liking the movie here. Oh, hmm, interesting. <laughs> um, so that's what I have to share about this. Yeah, okay. Uh, just one of those that kind of comes and goes. Yeah. It got a lot of attention while it was on, and then yeah. when it went away, it was gone. All right, yeah. Not the best, but not the worst. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that brings us to our final segment of the show, in which we like to thank the Academy for things relating to the film, the people in the film industry, the ceremony things we talk about in this episode i will thank the academy first go for it and i will thank the academy uh for properly casting (laughs) the role of gandhi uh, with someone of indian descent yeah that could have been real bad um but i feel like the movie upholds its own integrity by having him in it right it's effective because of him Mm mm-hmm and his portrayal, his also, I mean, his dedication to the role mm-hmm. and to the character, not even the character, the person mm-hmm. of Gandhi. Well, and he was obviously, like, his career was obviously leading to this. Like, yeah, I mean, it's everything seems like in destiny. his life, yeah, sort of was pointing to this. The fact that he had an Indian father who was from the same place. Uh, and yeah, yeah. He had spent the last 15 years of his life you know, becoming a really amazing stage he actor. He could have and taken like, that job as a pop star and been Harry Styles being offered this role as Gandhi. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> it's like, could you put a beetle in this movie? Well, he wouldn't have been a prestigious actor, so he probably would not have been asked to do this. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a whole it's yeah. a whole different life path that could have happened. Yeah. But it's it's just amazing for him, too. I mean, and he was so dedicated to it. Yes. And then it opened up his career to, like, huge yeah, amazing opportunities throughout. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the best actors of all history. Yep. 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 Yeah. That's, that's I agree with all that. Uh, I would like to thank the Academy for competent hosts. So, uh-huh. you know, we, we've talked about a lot of these ceremonies and I feel like one of the through lines is having a reliable host that can roll with the punches, that mm-hmm. can bring the humor, who... Who's going to work really hard. going to work hard and actually <laughs> learn the stuff. And Sometimes you don't know what you have until it's gone. Yeah, yeah. 
And we've talked about this before in terms of hosting. There's an element of showmanship that's different than acting. Right. And it's different than being a stand-up comedian. Mm -hmm. It's something totally on its own, something that someone like Johnny Carson or Bob Hope seem to have mastered. Mm -hmm. Uh, This genial likability, something that you and I have complained about recent years and Mm -hmm. that we hope hope for the future of the Academy to find people who can do this well. Uh, Well, and it's the same role that Billy Crystal will take then Mm -hmm. once he comes onto the scene. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't know. I don't like Jimmy Kimmel, but we both had a consensus that it was he, he is was, better than a lot of other people they could choose. Yeah, it was the most recent Academy Awards were perfectly fine. I think he's smart enough to know that he doesn't need to be controversial. Yeah. And right. in fact, he should not be right. and just like be a genial comedian and yeah. host. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't believe that the Academy Awards are a family affair, but I believe they are like a community affair. Mm -hmm. And so there needs to be a communal spirit. And luckily he is well liked enough by enough like actors and industry people. Yeah. But I say all of that to thank the Academy for the people that have shown and because we recognize that more when there's Mm -hmm. a night where they don't. And I believe Liza could be a great performer. I don't think she needed to host Mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing it's there's wisdom in choosing your host yeah true true i would like to thank the academy for the comeback of the biographical epic why Uh, (laughs) it's just a long-standing genre that the oscars like and it's just funny to me to see it come around again I'm not going to thank the Academy (laughs) for that. (laughs) It's just one of the tried and trues. Like, But should it be? mm, Not always. (laughs) I'm not saying it's good that it won, but it's just like, I don't know. It's It's going to happen a a million more times, so. Just see an old familiar face. (laughs) (laughs) You know what old familiar face I'd like to see? The rom-com. I want more it happen one night. I want more of the apartment. But it's not a familiar face. It's your, you know, one-time fling (laughs) that comes and goes. But made an indelible impression upon me. Well. All right. It happens. Uh, And finally, I would like to thank the Academy for those who know the show must go on. Oh. (laughs) In this episode, I'm specifically referring to darling Liza Minnelli. Yeah. And believe it or not, Charlton Heston. Oh, wow. He also knew the show must go on. <laughs> he rolled If you need to punches. see this dumb film, <laughs> just come over to my house later. <laughs> just get on with it. Which, you know what? I appreciate. <laughs> he is a pretty no-nonsense guy, so yeah, I can right? imagine that he was like... It's like, duh. Can we just do this, please? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to do this anyways. I didn't want to, but I agreed Uh, for good PR to (laughs) be up here presenting. Yeah. I, you know what? It's hard. It's really hard when everything falls apart on national TV, but Mm -hmm. someone's got to keep the train moving. Mm -hmm. So thanks for, to those people who do it with a smile. Mm. Great. (laughs) Well, and with that, uh, we leave you until our next show. Yes. Thank you for joining us. And then join us again next time when we talk about E.T., the extraterrestrial. In Academy Archives. Thank you for tuning in to Thank the Academy. You can follow us on social media at Thank the Academy Podcast on Instagram and at 
Tank Academy Pod on Twitter. If you enjoy listening to the show, make sure to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. The theme song was created by the one and only Noah Heisinger. Join us next week on Thank the Academy.